some of you might have heard me talking about this, but I had the opportunity to go to Haiti last weekend, which is just a wonderful sentence to say. I went to Haiti last weekend. Who could? How does that happen that you go to Haiti for a weekend? But um, I was on a scouting uh, short-term mission trip there. And um, as we were there in this compound where there were Westerners staying and Westerners working and, or I should say um, Americans, working to help make conditions better for people on the ground, in particular people who'd been affected by the earthquake a few years ago. Um, as we were there, um, there was um, one family that was there all the time. There was, and very often when we go on a short-term mission trip, we're plugging into the work that's being done there full-time. The full-time missionary who was there from the U.S. Um, was a doctor, and it was a medical mission that they had opened up there. And um, he passed around his card so that we could each see and know more about his story and his life. And one of the gentlemen on the team turned to me and just was flabbergasted because a little bit of their story was on that card. And this family had sold their home, um, sold most of their earthly possessions, and picked up, while their son was still a senior in high school, one of their sons, and they had moved to Haiti in order to be able to provide good medical care for people out in the rural areas of Haiti. And this team member sat, sitting next to me said, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine doing that. How much they must have suffered was the implication under his, um, his uh, wow. he was wowed by what they'd done. And he was wowed because of their perceived holiness in being able to give up these possessions and go to Haiti. And I, I sort of had a different reaction. I was actually a little jealous sitting there thinking, maybe it's because I'm the kind of person that purges and gets rid of things and then wishes I still had them after I got rid of them and think, why did I, where is that thing? Where is that thing that I'd like to have right now and I don't have it because I got rid of it in a fit of purging? But there is a God-given freedom, I would say, when your possessions don't possess you. Um, So often our possessions, our excess, possesses us. And we are obsessed with it. We are so attached to it um, that we don't have the freedom necessarily to be able to do the kind of thing that this family did in faith. And so when we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see two exhortations. In the first group of verses, we see an exhortation to those who would aspire to wealth. Those who might not be wealthy yet, but have the desire to accumulate, the desire to make their position better. And it's what he's talking about is this kind of obsession with the next thing, this look at the next horizon. And he talks about um, the, that, um, how that obsession and that temptation um, can, is a snare that will cause destruction in a person's life. He talks about, um, in quotes here, Paul quotes to Timothy, he quotes this um, proverb that we see throughout Scripture and we see it elsewhere, not even just in Scripture. So Scripture is in some ways drawing in this quote from elsewhere and this proverb from elsewhere. We see it in Job, Job whose possessions were all taken away from him in chapter 1. And then he says, naked we come into this world and naked we leave it. And that is here what uh, Paul is echoing in verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. We brought nothing in, and we can take nothing out. And if I had had that conversation again, you know, do you 
have, like me, the conversations where you think about them afterwards and you say, I should have said that. Well, in my mind, afterwards, I thought to this man, well, they just got to get rid of them sooner. They're going to have to give them up at some point, certainly when they die. They just had that grace of getting rid of them sooner um, than maybe you or I. Um, And there is this sense in which um, the contentment that God desires for us, that holy contentment, which is in opposition to that discontent, that that dangerous discontent that leads us to do destructive things, the contentment that Paul is talking about here that he is hoping for this little congregation in Ephesus, that he is desiring for this protege Timothy to make known to other people. The contentment that he is talking about is um, the contentment that comes and that cannot come, um, that cannot come from riches, but comes from something else, um, that comes from a different kind of a good life. We talk about living the good life. What is the good life? Paul is describing the good life here. And then, so in that first section, he's talking about he's preaching against the aspiration for riches, how it will lead you on to destruction. Then in the second part, in verses 17 through 19, there he is addressing directly those who are already rich. And what does he say to those who are already rich? Well, I would say it has something to do also with the contentment that he talked about previously, even though it's a different set of people. He talks about um, in verse 17, as for the rich in this world, charge. He's not saying give it all up. We hear that other places, but it's interesting. Paul doesn't say that. He says charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly furnishes us with everything to enjoy. He's preaching against that pride, which is something that we can have whether we're rich or not. We can look at our own achievement. We can look at our place in the world. We can look at even the kind word that we said to someone five minutes ago that makes us feel good because we did it. Talking even about those little um, moments of pride, that that pride is going to lead us astray. um, And that that pride is what actually sets us on unfirm ground. Um, He says, tell them to set their hopes um, not on uncertain riches, but on God. Riches are uncertain. The works of our hands are uncertain. Riches certainly gone here today, gone tomorrow. Depends on what the market does, right? Depends on the climate in the world, the economic climate in the world. Depends on... um, Our own stability, which can be, um, you know, whether it's job security or whatever else it might be, that is so impermanent, Um, just like the works of our own hands. Uh, How many of us, um, there was, um, I think of a family recently who lost everything, whose house burned down. They lost every single thing. And what a troubling thing to think that in a moment it could all go. Um, And yet... That is where we find our hope. And I go back to that first beautiful hymn that we sung, It Is Well. And that was written, of course, um, by a man who had lost everything right after he lost everything. Everything that this world has that's worth having, he lost it. And by that I don't mean riches. I mean the riches of relationship. He had lost everything. And in that moment he was still able to say, like Job, it is well with my soul. He had that contentment that Paul talks about. And why does he have that contentment? How does he have that contentment? Except that he knows what we need to know as well, which is that God knows what we need. 
He provides us with those bare things, the things that are good, um, food and clothing. If we have food and clothing and probably shelter and clean water as well, we'll be content. And the rest, the rest is um, meaningless or it's icing on the cake depending on your outlook. But it's not to be grasped and desired with an unhealthy desire. If we have what we need and our good Lord knows what we need, just as he knows the needs of the lilies and the grass of the field, just as he knows the needs of the sparrows, he knows our needs, so we don't need to grasp for it ourselves. And the, the surefire way, the one thing we look to, to remember above all else, to remind ourselves above all else that he knows our needs, is of course um, the cross of Jesus Christ. The fact that he has known our spiritual needs um, and that he himself is able, only he is able to provide for us, to provide for our spiritual needs. He provided us a Savior in Jesus Christ, um, and he provides that Savior to us at that moment when we have nothing. When we have nothing of our own, when we have no um, riches, no wealth of um, spiritual merit, no wealth around us, when we are weak, when we are poor, when we are sick, when we're dying, when we are sinful um, and without any kind of spiritual resources, then we can set all our hopes on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Because he has gone to the cross to die and to raise us to new life. And so we can rest in what he has done. We can rest in the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. God richly furnishes us with everything we need in him. And it is through him then that we can find what Paul talks about in that last bit of verse 19. Um, that life, which is life indeed. He talks about the life, which is the real true life. That life, which is abundant life and eternal life. That it is not necessarily the good life based on the way our world today describes the good life. But it's the life eternal. And that life eternal, that eye towards heaven, that hope in God alone is ours through Jesus Christ. And for that we can say, thanks be to God.